Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the Authority Podcast on the B Podcast Network. I'm Ross Romano, and today I'm really pleased to be joined by Andrew Campanella. Andrew is the president and CEO of the National School Choice Awareness Foundation. And we're going to talk about Andrew's book, The School Choice Roadmap, Seven Steps to Finding the Right School for Your Child. And we're going to look at it from the lens of you, the listener. So we know that many of you are school leaders, district level personnel, teachers in classrooms, you're working in various roles in education. And it's really critical for you to understand, okay, what are parents, families, and students looking for when they are making their choice of schools to attend, or even just once they enroll and enter our doors, um, what are the factors that are important to them? How are we letting them know where we stand on those ideas? And how are we communicating interactively to continue delivering an experience that everybody is looking for? So Andrew, I'm really pleased to have you here. Thanks so much, Ross. I appreciate it. And I look forward to talking with you today. Yes, absolutely. And I, I think a great place to start is, um, you know, when we talk about the school choice and, and for the folks that pick up the book, and we'll definitely get into why it's so valuable, even from the perspective of an educator, you know, many educators, of course, are parents as well. But even if you're looking at it just from your professional role, why there's a lot of value to reading through this. But one of the things you'll notice pretty quickly, even if you're relatively informed about the various options that are out there is that there are a lot of options, right? So if you're thinking about it as a parent who may not know much about this to begin with, and maybe from your own schooling experience, you never necessarily felt like you had much of a choice. First, you're probably very pleased to find out there's various options for your child. And then you might think, wow, there's a lot of options. <laughs> there's a lot of information. I'm a little overwhelmed. And in a sense, I, I'm wondering how much that creates an opportunity and influence just from schools getting out there. Uh, just even before we get into the specifics of what are the things they're communicating, what kind of an impression does it make on families when they see that there are schools that are making an effort to engage with them and to, in a sense, court them, right? And say, hey, here's what we do and here's why you might want to check us out versus schools who may not be doing that. And that's, you know, in, in my opinion, independent of what the schools are actually doing, right? It's, it's, are they making it a priority to say, we believe that you, you deserve to hear from us, right? And, and proactively getting out there. What impression do you think that makes on families? Well, I think it makes a huge impression and first, you talked about all the different options out there. And for those folks who are listening, I want you to know that when it comes to our work at the National School Choice Awareness Foundation, we recognize and celebrate all options equally. We don't believe that school choice is an us versus them type of movement. Instead, we think it should be an all of the above approach. So we talk about celebrate and work with traditional public schools, public charter schools, public magnet schools, private schools, online schools, homeschooling, and now non-traditional education models too, like micro schools and learning pods. You asked, what does it mean for families when schools go out and promote themselves and say to families, hey, this is why you should choose us. I think it means everything and it can make the world of difference for a school. Advertising works. Public outreach works. If you don't think it works, just ask yourself why, after more than 100 years of being in existence, Coca-Cola still advertises constantly, not only on television and the radio, but by sponsoring events and putting up signs at your local convenience store, because advertising works. And people need to be reminded over and over and over again, not just that you are there and that you exist, but what it is you do and what makes you unique. And so we encourage schools to do public events, activities, to promote themselves, not at the expense of the education they provide students, not taking time and effort away from teaching, but complementing that work. Because the way you continue to grow and the way you continue to recruit families is by letting people know about that good work. Advertising and public relations are not Madison Avenue terms for a school just means getting out there and showcasing your success, showcasing what you've done to help inspire kids. 
Right. Yeah. And this, I mean, the book, you know, it's presented very comprehensively and it goes through all these different types of school environments and the various factors that parents might want to evaluate. And it really does give them uh, a roadmap for doing that. But that can be very time consuming, very labor intensive. We know that you know a lot of parents and families um, may find it difficult to go through all of that. So even by schools making that a little easier, by putting some of this information out front and center so that there's not so much digging required, um, allows them to start to narrow that down and say, okay, we think these might be the top three options. So now we can go really deep on those, right? Um, if, you know, if you're buying a pair of shoes and you try to look at every single possible shoe manufacturer out there, you would be barefoot. But if you right. know, I usually like Nikes or Adidas or the, you know, the, let me see what those few have to offer currently and, and dive into it. So that's, I mean, I think it really is, um, it's an extension of the school's mission of the great work that you're doing every day to make sure that people know about that. Um, that leads into, you know, as I, I'm kind of read out the subtitle of the book, Seven Steps to Finding the Right School. So there's seven of them. And um, the first four in particular, I think, are very, you know, highly relevant to what the school can bring to that conversation. And, and step one is, you know, for parents, think back to your own time in school. Uh, right. Just having parents reflect on what stood out to you, what um, who's a teacher that really made a positive difference for you? What's an area you struggled in? And, and how would you want to ensure that your child has um, an experience that you would have wanted to have, right? And also to make sure that you put down, and there are worksheets in the book, put down your experiences, good and bad, so that you remember that those are your experiences. And they right. don't necessarily predict what your child's experiences will be. And this step might seem a little fluffy, but it is important mm -hmm. because you want to figure out whether or not your own experiences are informing your decision or whether you're putting your own past baggage on your child and forcing uh, he or she to carry it for you. You also have to remember that schools have changed since you've been to school. Right. And um, putting some of this stuff down will help you put all that stuff, good and bad, into context. Right. And and um, it relates, you know, easily to educators because I. I recently had a conversation with um, somebody who works in higher education with a teacher preparation program. And I said, okay, what are, you know, of the current teachers, the new teachers who are entering the profession, what are the motivators? Why are they choosing this? And he said, they basically fall into two buckets, right? They either had a wonderful experience in school and they want other kids to have the same, or they had a challenging experience in school and they don't want other kids to have That's the right. same, right? And yeah. so- that's why they enter the profession and then but then I talked to educators as they go on in their careers and it's easy to forget to reflect on that right so as you're telling parents reflect on your experience and think about the things that you noticed and and how that might relate to your child it's exactly the reason why educators get into the profession but then you get busy with other things and you know it's it's easy to forget oh maybe I should take a minute and remember that and then make sure that I am infusing that into my classroom or into my school and um, and then having, I think, conversations because um, I see it as it's not a one-time choice, right? They choose to right. enroll in a school eventually or, you know, maybe there's people who even, they didn't necessarily go through a process of choice, but they're enrolled now. But what you want them to do is choose every day that they want to be there, they're happy there, they feel like you're, so one of the things that says to me is, you know, how can schools initiate conversations with parents about the things that might make the school better, right, that might improve it, um, that might take their perspectives uh, you know, into account because parents do have that experience of having gone through school and they have these things they've reflected on and, um, you know, yes, we want to choose the school that we think might best represent what we want to see, but also we want to keep making it better. The first thing I would tell any school leader or teacher out there who's listening is if the first time you're reaching out to families and asking them for help is for fundraising, you should approach it differently. Because if you just go to parents when you need money and you need them to do a fundraiser or some sort of a sale, um, that's important. And I'm not going to discount the benefit of having parents involved in development, but 
you need to involve parents in other aspects of school too. They can't just be the financiers of the operation. They need to be involved in things like um, curriculum. Parents yeah. want to be involved in that now. They want to ask questions about it. And you can involve them in the beginning stages of discussing what's going to be taught to schools, to students, how they're going to be taught, what types of field trips you want to take kids on, things like that. Having them be in decision-making roles, not just when it comes to what school their child goes to, but what their kid is learning in that school. That can be helpful. Have parents be involved in uh, the process of finding new teachers, uh, interviewing teachers uh, who are prospective and might end up working in your building. There are a lot of different ways you can involve parents in a meaningful way that's not just, hey, will you go sell cookies? Right. Yeah. And, and these are, and you mentioned ideas like curriculum and all, and, you know, while um, there's one model, which is when a student is enrolling with special needs and maybe they're going through an IEP process, right? That that's very individualized. While most schools don't necessarily have the resources for that to be practical with every single family, knowing these things that are generally important, then you can, you know, broadcast them more proactively and say, Oh, uh, parents are interested in what we teach and how we teach it. And right. if we if we don't communicate about that, they're either they feel disengaged, they're uncertain or confused, or they, you know, they come to a, a conclusion that's you know, they they fill in the blanks with some other understanding, and then we have friction that doesn't need to exist. Exactly. Um, and so and it's you, it's such an opportunity. Yeah. And you see what happens when you don't involve families for a long period of time, and then something like COVID happens, and then parents are forced all at right. once to pay really close attention to what their kids are learning in school and how they're being taught. And parent frustration boils over, and we're seeing that right now. And a lot of that is not necessarily about unhappiness with the quality of education. It is a feeling that parents were left out for too long. And then when the chips were down and things really mattered, when COVID started, they felt like their kids weren't being well served in a lot of cases. Right. Now they are hyper-focused and they're looking for things to, to get better and trying to find solutions. And so you have a lot of frustrated families out there. I don't think we could have fix the COVID problem in our country right. uh, in terms of we couldn't, we can't go back and, and, and make that all right now. But what we can do is make sure that in the future, families are invested and bought in every step of the way as best as schools possibly can. Yeah. Yeah. COVID was a great example of there were, you know, a lot of positive things parents learned that they were surprised by yeah. that they shouldn't have been surprised by because I mean, it was how happening hard all along. Teachers are working. I mean, right. educators worked so incredibly hard during the pandemic and the post-pandemic discussion has not recognized that. Um, you know, that's sort of been dropped from the narrative. But yeah. it's important also to remember that that families had it really rough, so did teachers. And as a result of that, they are looking at things more skeptically. And the solution to that is not to say, well, what's happened to parents out there? They've gone nuts. It's to say, look, we have to do a better job building bridges with families and keeping them involved and having them be involved before challenges come up. And that way, when there is a big problem, hopefully not another COVID, uh, right. but there's already a strong connection between parents and educators. Right. Um, and along those same lines of, you know, the conversation between the schools and the parents, and then of course, part of the, um, the process of navigating school choice, and then just navigating the educational experience, you know, as you go is, is parents and having conversations with their children. Um, but what about the conversations that schools, you know, educators, teachers can be initiating with their students to check in on their experience and, you know, from the perspective of that personalized experience, kind of make sure that they are continuing, they're getting what they're expecting, right? And, and there are things where we can uncover them more quickly to rectify something that a student's having a problem with, um, but that, you know, those conversations don't always happen as routinely as maybe they could. Yeah, I think it's important to constantly, not constantly, but frequently check in on uh, student learning, obviously through assessment, but also student happiness and student growth, because whether a student is happy 
in a school or learning environment really does play a role as every teacher who is listening knows in that child's future success. You want kids to develop a love of learning and you want them to feel inspired Mm -hmm. and have things they are curious about. And so what I encourage parents to ask their kids and teachers to ask students is what they're interested in right now, what they're curious about right now, and then encourage them, uh, the students, to pursue research into those topics or learn more about the things that really motivate them at the time. Because those are the things that I believe and research shows really create um, a desire to learn more and that snowball effect of knowledge acquisition that is so important to uh, lifelong learning. Yeah. And, and so at the risk of, you know, overgeneralizing, but I'm sure there's things that come up. You, I know you have many, many conversations with parents all the time um, about what they're going through and what they're thinking through. And, you know, uh, and, and when we think about parents, um, what they bring to, to the, you know, conversation regarding their own experience in school, um, are there certain things that seem to come up routinely or just kind of seem to be okay a lot of people had a certain type of experience and that would be an important thing that we know that's, you know, since schools are consistently evolving, that they need to um, communicate about, you know, we know you might be concerned about this and here's actually something we're doing that's new. And I think about it from the perspective of, you know, my my wife teaches early childhood education. Um, and so a lot of the parents of those students, one, this is the first time that they may have been back in a school since they were a student. And two, you know, if the kids are three, four, five years old, the parents are probably on the younger side. So whatever their experience was is also very recent. <laughs> so if they had traumas associated with their, their experience as a student, for example, that's very close to them, right? And so it, that's kind of part of what they're walking into the building with. And if they're still holding on to that and assuming I I feel like my kid's going to have the same experience that I had. It can be very difficult to get to the place where you want to be as far as having the type of engagement you want and relationship you want, unless you make an effort to come right out front and say, look, we have a sense of what, you know, a lot of people may have felt in the past. And here's what we're doing now that is different or that we're just being mindful of that. Okay, I'm making some notes here because there are four things that I am hearing more and more uh, from families that I feel like have become or are trends that schools should be prepared to respond to proactively. Mm -hmm. The first is not so much a trend as much as it is a good practice. And that is, as you talk to parents, remember that they are smart, but jargon works for nobody. Parents do not automatically know. Nobody automatically knows what is in ESSA. You need to explain what the Every Student Succeeds Act means and why it matters. You need to explain what um, pedagogy is and things like that. Education speak is sort of like the way Martians talk sometimes. I've been working in this for 20 years and every day I run across a term that I have no idea what it means. And I'm sure a lot of educators do too and parents certainly do as well. So as much as we can cut this down to words that normal humans can actually understand uh, on an everyday basis, the better off you will be in connecting with everybody, students, parents, and other teachers. Uh, The jargon is just unhelpful. So that's the first thing I would say, not as much a trend, but just a good practice Talk to everybody as if they do not know all these acronyms. Other trends. Parents are worried about the quality of education their kids are getting, especially after COVID. They're worried about learning loss. They see data like the recent um, National Assessment of Educational Progress, which is the nation's report card, a big test lots of kids take. Uh, Results showing that students are not doing well in reading and math. They're seeing headlines about that, and they're concerned about their own kids. You see the recent ACT test which is the test that a lot of students take before they go to college. The results there showed 40% of kids don't meet even the basic benchmarks for college or career success. Parents are worried how their own kids fare, so they're worried about quality. Families are increasingly, and they continue to be worried about bullying. I hear this more and more. They're worried about in-school bullying. They're worried about cyber bullying. They're worried about out-of-school bullying and how that affects their kids, especially because when I was in school, 
I could leave school and escape the bullying and go home. And I didn't have a computer to log on to where I'd get bullied there too. Right, right. right now are experiencing that. Um, safety is another thing that, that I'm hearing more and more families talk about. Sometimes it's uh, combined with the bullying conversation. Other times it is more about concern over even more severe uh, safety concerns in schools. So those are the four things that I bring up. Basic thing about jargon, education quality and learning loss, bullying and safety being topics that that I get asked about probably on a weekly basis. Yeah, and I mean, they're all critical issues and you know, even the jargon one, which I think we, we we may get into it a little bit more later. It's, it's one of those things where, you know, it can make the difference between whether people feel supportive and invested in your programs or they feel, you know, confused and opposed, right? It's something like right. um, there's been uh, surveys done around social emotional learning, for example, and parents fully support life skills and, you know, and, and those, right. but the, it's the, the terminology makes the difference. SEL, they don't really know what it means. They, it's not, it's not really familiar, right? I don't know if I could actually describe to you what social emotional learning is. And I work in this. And the reason I can't is because it means different things to so many people out there. Right. And so when you're explaining something to parents and really to anybody, I would encourage you to not use terms that, 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 that could confuse people. Right. Because if it's confusing to somebody, they might have a different interpretation of it than you. And so you might be arguing about something completely different. Yeah, no, absolutely. And so uh, as we kind of go through, so the, the next step in this process for parents is to identify your goals for your child. So, you know, every, every parent, every child, every family has different things that are the highest priority for them. Um, and so, you know, one of the things that, that comes to mind as soon as I see this is I know, you know, certainly from working in this field and you know that at a high level, schools and teachers have the same goals that parents have. They want their students to be successful, right? And now what that looks like and what are the highest priorities for each student in each family is a little different, but at a high level, it's we're all on the same page. But do most parents know that? I mean, do, do, they, do they naturally understand it? Or they or their schools make that clear? Or um, is it perhaps like something that, you know, you may understand intuitively, but you kind of don't really see a lot of evidence? I think that parents do have great respect for teachers. And if you look over and over again at research and studies, parents have high levels of satisfaction with their kids' teachers and with their educators, where parents are more dissatisfied, it seems, uh, is on the school level or the systemic level. And so I don't know if that answers your question, but I think that parents do know that their kids' teachers want their kids to succeed and are doing everything possible to help them succeed in most cases. Um, so I think there is an alignment there. And I think that there's a great bond that, that exists between parents and teachers that I hope parents and teachers will continue to build and, and grow because we can talk about policy and we can talk about effective ways of promoting a school and different ways that parents can effectively search for schools for their kids. But one of the things that I have at the end of the book is the importance of developing relationships mm -hmm. with educators, between educators and parents, between parents and kids, between kids and teachers, really to keep it all together and right. to make sure that once you choose a school, you can set it up as a parent to be a great relationship and an ongoing um, positive development for your child. It's not just like you said before, that act of choosing, it's the continuous improvement and, and working together that, that makes it all work. <laughs> right. Yeah, no, I think that's, you know, exactly right. And that's good to hear because that is, you know, as I know that's why I'm happy to have, you know, glad to be having this conversation is, um, you know, you and, and the organization takes this very positive approach to school choice. And we see it's an opportunity. It's an opportunity for students to get into an environment where they can really be successful, an opportunity for schools to help students succeed in all of the ways that they, um, you know, they can really unleash their potential. Um, and it really is that personal process of navigating that, that is very different from the 
political framing that frequently comes into place, right? That makes school yeah, choice really. sound like it, it's an antagonistic relationship, parents versus schools. Okay, you know, it's it's what right. you're trying to avoid versus what yeah. you're trying yeah. to seek. And um, ultimately, I think most people that are actually navigating it don't view it that way. But if we get overwhelmed by that rhetoric, um, it can make schools tense up and say, okay, oh, yeah. you know, they're looking Absolutely. at us. Uh, <laughs> and feel under attack. And I understand that because sometimes the rhetoric around school choice in favor of school choice is not what I would call productive. <laughs> and it's not necessarily um, rhetoric that really is designed to advance policies that would help kids as much as it is rhetoric that has political implications. And so we at School Choice Awareness Foundation and our programs, National School Choice Week, Canose Tus Opciones Escolares, which is our Spanish language program, our goal is to keep this personal, not political, because it doesn't matter what your political affiliation is, you want your child to get a great education, an education that will inspire your child to learn, thrive, succeed, and be happy. And it doesn't matter what your political affiliation is. As an educator, you want to do the best job for the kids in your community so that they can succeed. And we want to help connect those people who do those things, whether it's the parents who have the kids who need the education or the educators who create the environments that educate the kids so that people can find a fit that works well for them without all of the noise out there that's trying to pit people against each other. One of the reasons I wrote this book is because I've been working in school choice for so long and parents will come up to me with questions and say, I really like the idea of school choice, but I really like public schools, is that okay? And I, yeah, of course it's okay. It's a choice. You're making a choice. That is a fine choice. That's a good choice for you. Another parent would say, is public school or is ch are charter schools better than public schools? Well, first of all, they are public schools. Second of all, quality is something that parents can decide based on what is right for their kids. There is no one right answer about school quality uh, that works for every child. So for example, we don't prefer or preference one type of school over another. We let parents make those decisions. Um, people debate whether or not charter schools are better than private schools. I say, well, which kid are you talking about? Because it really matters whether or not the school is meeting an individual child's needs, not kids at large. Right. Yeah. And I think there are, there are certain intrinsic kind of factors about this discussion that have historically made it a little more difficult sometimes for traditional public schools to think about how they can, you know, communicate about themselves versus, uh, for example, if it's a, you know, private religious school, there are certain things right off the bat that a parent would know about that and say, okay, well, if my priority is that I want my child to have a Catholic education or, you know, uh, you know, there still are other things I want to know about that school, but that's like a pretty clear um, public schools, of course, are designed as they should be to be there to serve everybody. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a public institution. Um, but yeah, at the same time, you know, there are ways in which when we think about, okay, but what are our unique mission, vision, and values here? Um, what kind of an environment do we want to cultivate? What, what kind of community where there are all these inclusive factors that can also form an identity and make it easier to understand, okay, now I get what this school is about as compared to this one and this one and and i you know i think about it almost like uh like a movie trailer where it's it's that it's there's it's not objectively that this is good this is bad this this school is better than this it, it's it's about what is best suited to that student right so for for movies right as, as the trailer you present the best version of the film right. that you have created and it's good that something like Rotten Tomatoes exists, so you can kind of look there and say, hmm, most uh, critics didn't really seem to think this movie was that good, but this trailer, it has actors I like, it, yeah. it's a genre I like, you know, maybe I should watch it. Oh, I really liked it. So you know, it, that it was for me, right? <laughs> and right. so the same thing can happen with those schools to say, okay, what story are you telling about yourself and what you're about? And if there's people that that's also what they're looking for, they'll, they'll find you and they'll kind of see that it's a fit. 
Yeah. And you know, when you're doing things like promoting yourself or letting people know that you're a school of choice, and I use that term really broadly, I think that every school is a school of choice in the sense that every school wants parents to actively choose that school for their kids. When you're promoting yourselves, remember that your promotional messages or the way you talk about yourself doesn't need to be all encompassing. You don't need to talk about the fact that you're a blue ribbon school and that this percentage of kids are on the honor roll and that you have this many clubs and activities. All you need to do is say something interesting enough to get parents to wanna go on a school tour or to get people through the door to meet with teachers or ambassadors at your school to find out what inspires them to work there. Just give folks enough information to get them through the door so then you can convince them that you really are a cool place. Uh, I think promotion and advertising gets people caught up because they think, how in two sentences am I going to describe all the things we do? You don't need to. You just need to give enough to get people there. Hi, everyone. This is Ross Romano from the Bee Podcast Network, and I'm here to have a quick chat with Crecia Campos-Spivey from our sponsor, the National School Choice Awareness Foundation. Uh, Crecia, you're the director of Foundation's project that's designed to inform Spanish-speaking parents about their children's schooling options. Can you tell us a little bit about that project? Yeah, absolutely. We're super, super excited. We just launched this September. Uh, We already had a lot of success, so very excited. The idea of this is to reach Spanish-speaking parents that are looking for educational options in their language. Uh, We do not have any favors, just like School Choice Week. We support all different kinds of options from traditional public schools, um, public magnet schools, public charter school, online schools, homeschooling, private school. We just want to give parents the information they need to find the right fit for their children's education in Spanish. Awesome. And, and you did a recent survey and there were a couple of interesting findings there. One is that uh, nearly three in five Hispanic parents, about 59% actively have considered a different schooling option for at least one of their children over the past year. Uh, and you also found that Hispanic and Latino parents were more likely than their non-Hispanic peers to exercise their school choice options in advance of the upcoming school year. Um, what, what are some of the, the findings there? What are some of the reasons why Hispanic parents are really interested in their different options? Yeah, absolutely. One of the things that inspired uh, this project, Conoce Tus Opciones Escolares, is the amount of students the Hispanic students are having in the K-12 system in the U.S. We uh, we were using other studies as well, and we found that pretty much by 2027, uh, Hispanic students will make up to 30% of the students in our, in our K-12 system. So that's quite significant. Right. And so I think we can see that that uh, kind of correlates to Hispanic parents looking for options. We did find, just like you say, nearly three in five Hispanic parents are considered in school. Um, and we also find one of the interesting things, we do surveys for the general population during National School Choice Week, and we were able to compare these, uh, these findings. And we found that <clears throat> Latino parents are more likely than non-Hispanic parents to exercise the school choice. Um, so it's kind of just interesting to have the, the, the contrast between different groups uh, in the population, yeah. Right. And that's great information to know about. We have a lot of listeners, of course, who are uh, teachers and um, principals, right? And so if they have a lot of students in their schools whose families are Spanish speaking, it's good for them to know about um, what parents are looking for and the different types of options they're exercising. And you also found, you know, there's quite good awareness, I think, and interest in a lot of the school choice options, but Hispanic parents are still facing some challenges in navigating all of those options. What have you learned in that regard? Yeah, absolutely. One of the things that we found that is actually kind of sad is that all the different groups in education, Hispanic students are always, as for now, they are still underperforming any other group. Um, So we found that language can be a barrier Mm -hmm. for parents to find and to reserve some of their school choice options. That's why we were inspired to create this new 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 project. Uh, we in the survey we did, we found that about 23% of those school searchers that told us that they were looking for a new school in the last 12 months for their child, they described the process of finding a new school somewhat 
or very challenging. So we're trying to create and provide tools for parents to have this process less challenging for them and to find a successful school for the child. We also find that uh, more than a third of these school searches, which again are the parents that told us that they were looking for a school in the last 12 months or, or were thinking or change school, 39% uh, preferred more Spanish language information about their school choice. So we are very happy that we provided this information that parents need. And we have got, we have been flooded with, with questions from parents in the first month we had, in the first week, um, we had dozens and dozens of questions from parents asking us about their school choice. So we're very, very happy to be providing information for parents in Spanish. Great, yes, that's wonderful. So yes, the National School Choice Awareness Foundation of, you know, has been traditionally best known for National School Choice Week, which is coming up um, for 2023 on January 22nd to the 28th. So um, coming up very soon, And but it's great to see the foundation expanding its programs and offerings to be inclusive of more parents and families. And um, where can our listeners learn more about all of these different programs? programs? Absolutely. If you're looking for information in English, schoolchoiceweek.com. And if you're looking for information in Spanish, opcionesescolares.com. Excellent. Well, thank you, Crisia, for being here with us. Thank you for having me. When you think about the you know, the, the goals that a lot of parents have from your, your work with parents and conversations with them and, and the types of goals, right? Not even necessarily the specific goals, but the 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 elements that are important to them you know whether it's academics or you know i want a school that um that prepares my child for college or i want a school where my child can be healthy and safe or you know the types of things that are most important to them are there certain things that you've observed that schools either seem to in in not in what they do but in what they communicate about themselves either focus you know, too much on as compared to how important that is to parents or not enough on and, and, and you know, it's the same as right, like product marketing, like you can go down the whole list of features, um, but those might be things that people aren't really looking for, or once they're using the product, once they're at the school, they'll say, oh yeah, this stuff is all great, but it's not like the thing that's top of mind versus these other things. This is what they're really interested in. Are, are there anything that you kind of see that's like, tell them more about this because this is really what they want to know about? That's a really good question, Ross. And as you were asking it, I was giving thinking of some examples, but then I was, counter, uh, <laughs> I was contradicting myself because I was going to say, well, people don't care as much about um, test scores. Well, then I just remembered I read a survey where a certain subset of parents really do care about that. Mm -hmm. And so I'm going to get out of answering your question by saying uh, it really depends on the parent population you're talking to and on the individual parent and kid. And so I don't want to paint with a broad brush and say, you know what, stop talking about your great schools ranking because parents don't care. Well, there are parents who do care. What I would say is pick three or four things about your school that you know make you proud and tell people about it and why it matters to them and their kids and make it about their kids. Don't make it about some internal process or some external validation make it about what your school will do for their child or has done for other kids and use those things to lead your messaging. And then you will find through the process of promoting yourself and talking about yourself in the community and advertising, you'll be able to see which messages work for you. You can run ads online and see which ones get more clicks and impressions and conversions based on different messages and hone your school's effective messages that way and do it in a local level. So I don't want to give an answer that will dissuade people from using what might actually be a really good message in their community. Yeah. I have to listen to what I say in my own book. <laughs> no, I think that makes sense. And and so much of it is, is all, it's, you know, thinking about the, the way in which we can talk about things versus exactly that it's this thing, you know, and one of the things is, is, is about, um, you know, storytelling about what we do and storytelling say about our teachers right one of the things you sort of address uh in the book and i think in the faq section is 
should I be looking for? How do I find schools that have teachers that are qualified and certified? And, and you're sort of focused a little more on what qualified means versus certified because there's all different certifications oh, yes. and you mean different things and, and ultimately to a parent it you know it doesn't really mean that much versus factors that are what qualifications are but then you know largely that section also i think lists a lot more uh, qualitative factors versus quant quantitative right it, it, about the way that those teachers treat students and relate to students and the, the learning environments they create and all of those things that aren't necessarily on a resume and so much of that can be achieved you know if, if a school wants to talk about what kind of teachers they have by telling the stories about their actual teachers and what they do and how they right. help students and the, and, and the way in which they teach and, and what that's like versus saying, you know, all of our teachers have X credential, um, which doesn't tell you that much. Right? Yeah, exactly. When was the last time you heard a parent describing his or her child's teacher by saying you wouldn't believe how great Ms. Jones is, she has certification from the National Board for Professional Teaching Standards, or, uh, wow, I'm so surprised that Mr. Smith is such a good teacher. He's only on his interim certification. Mm -hmm. You hear parents say things like, Mrs. Smith taught Johnny how to read and to right. love reading books, or, uh, you know, Mr. Smith uh, got Sarah interested in science. You know, you hear the real stories of what a teacher does for a child and how the teacher inspires a child and motivates a child and challenges a child to be the very best that he or she could be. Those are the stories that we remember about our teachers and the parents remember about their kids' teachers, not the credentials they hold. And so by constantly leading with the certification stuff, we're getting into the jargon territory again that right. parents just don't care about in terms of, uh, or not that they don't care about, but they don't necessarily understand what it, why it matters. Certification, like you said, can come in any number of forms. Sometimes you can get a temporary certification with just a bachelor's degree. So there's a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of complexity there. Yeah, it's, it's, not, it's not a factor that's unimportant, certainly in, no. in this era of, you know, shortages and and certain schools that may really be um, trying to fill positions with teachers from all kinds of backgrounds and and you know they may truly not have a certification yet so it's not that it doesn't matter but it's just not the thing that really tells me about your school and about what my child their experience would be like in that school or it's also just not the thing that allows you to promote the positives, right? It's a baseline, it's a baseline measure. It's a, it's okay. An input, it's input, not a, an output, right. Right, it's a, it's a checklist kind of thing. All right, do they have these, but, but doesn't tell me, you know, how does this fit my vision? As you said, when they reflect on their own experience, going back to step one, what do you remember about your teachers and what do you know about them? Do you have any idea you know, right. what, I mean, what their particular qualifications were versus the way they made you feel? You know, I think that I write about in the book. I remember my first grade teacher. I know her name. I remember what I was reading in class when I felt confident enough to stand up in front of the class and read for the first time. And I have absolutely no idea what type of certification she had, where she went to college, uh, and how many years she taught before that, or uh, what level she was on the pay scale. All I know is she's the one who got me to stand up in front of the class and read for the first time. And that's what I remember now, so many years later. Now, how does the school take a story like that and translate it into a promotional message that will advance the school's ability to recruit uh, more students and families into that school? I think it's by having people share their stories at events, share their stories in profiles that go in newspapers or online, using social media to tell stories about that school's effectiveness and the human to human interaction that happens uh, between yeah. a student and a teacher to cultivate greater learning and yeah. telling those stories that other parents can, can easily understand and can want for their own kids. Right. Which, yeah, then leads to their, them having all kinds of options for success and uh, you know, in, in whichever 
kind of field they're they're focused on. And then as we go, you know, then the next couple of steps, steps three and four kind of go together to me, um, decide what you want or need, and then make a list and research. Right. And again, as it relates to, you know, what the schools are doing, this is sort of that, that next step. And the thing, you know, when I think about the want or need, I mean, what's your perspective on need, you know, I think about, again, like those are kind of those baseline needs. That is, if a student has individual, special, you know, needs, right, special exactly. needs or particular accommodations, things like that, um, you absolutely need to know that the school can fulfill those. What you want is, is that your aspirations. It's when you really right. think about what do I want my child's future to be like? Um, what do I want them to be able to experience and explore while they're in school? And then as they're preparing for their future, um, those things are, those are related more to what the vision is at that school. How much of, you know, a school's emphasis in how they are presenting themselves, do you feel like should be focused on one versus the other? You know, it's, it's essential that, <laughs> that the needs uh, information is accessible, easy to find and clear. Um, yeah. At the same time, the, you know, the aspirations are, might be a little more motivating and, and compelling. I think you have two sets of things that you need to effectively communicate. The first is the, you know, that your school meets the have to haves that a parent has, meaning, you know, your school can meet all the other attributes uh, that a parent might want, but if it's unaffordable and a parent cannot afford to send their child there or can't get a scholarship to send their child there, if this is a private school, for example, you won't be able to convince that parent to choose that school right. because there's a barrier. Uh, transportation is another one. You might be the perfect school for a family, but if you're 50 miles away uh, and the family cannot get transportation for their child to and from the school, you're not on the list because uh, they have to have transportation access. So you need to convince parents in two different respects. Number one, that you meet that have to have list, which are needs, and the other list of things that are wants, things that are nice to have. Um, that's why I encourage families to go through, we have a very long rating exercise in the book, and it's also available for free. If you don't want to buy the book, you can go on schoolchoiceweek.com and get all of these worksheets completely for free and fill them out. Uh, and they will help you go through the process of finding a school that meets your child's needs without telling you that you should pick a charter school over a public school or a public school over a private school. You are harnessing the power of your own intuition to do this on your own. But I'll go through and ask you lots of questions about whether or not specific things are a priority for you or not. And then you identify your top priorities. For example, do you want to focus on core subjects, competency-based education, critical thinking skills, character development, many, many pages of questions like that. Yeah. And then um, when we think about what parents want, I mean, and this, <laughs> you might tap out on this question again, we'll see, but I, I'm, it made no, me I wonder. I can answer it based on data. Absolutely. <laughs> well, it, goes, it just made me wonder if there are things that parents either think or, or don't think they care about. And then later on, they realize that it's the opposite, right? Like, I didn't think this was that important. It wasn't a factor when I was deciding the school. And then once my student was in the school, I realized, oh, that, that thing was really important or vice versa. Anything that you kind of notice that seems to come up in that regard? Sometimes transportation actually is an interesting thing. Uh, and I'll just give an example of people who say, we'll figure it out. And then they find the school, they enroll their child and they get to the first day and realize they haven't figured it out uh, can be something that you kind of might want to bump up on the have to have list or to figure out before you go through the process because you don't want to be stuck. Um, that's one. In terms of other things, it really depends. I've heard families say, I didn't think we needed a breakfast program, but now I realize it would really benefit our child. Or um, we thought that the lack of extracurriculars wouldn't have been a problem, but it turns out that we wanted those things after all, and we're really missing them. So there's not one answer mm -hmm. for every child. What I will say is that there are some trends that we are seeing in what parents say they want. And right. those things are quality, continues to be uh, the top. They're looking for quality education environments, they're looking for safe education environments, schools that uh, 
that have a plan to deal with if there is a next surge of COVID, um, effectively deal with that. And they're looking for schools that have qualified teachers. That's important to families. So, yeah. you know, then, then we've got a lot of other survey data on our site about what parents say they want and need. Interestingly enough, what we're not seeing is parents saying that they're choosing schools solely based on uh, curriculum and having a, a right to veto curriculum or to choose curriculum uh, that a school offers. And I know we're getting a lot of attention on that issue right now. Right. Uh, well, schools are, you know, a lot of attention about uh, issues related to curriculum and library books and things like that. We wanted to find out, is that motivating parents to actually switch schools for their kids? And it turns out that by and large, it's not. Right. Yeah. And I think some of those things, you know, that it's all indicative of the necessity of continued communication, right? Communicating with parents before their child enrolls, after and, and ongoing to understand how are their views changing over time or what are the things that they're having a positive or negative experience and how does that match up with what we're doing in the school? And if we find out that the parents of our students who have been in the school for two, three years um, really highlight X, Y, Z as things they really like about the school. And uh, parents who are pre-enrollment never talk about those things. Okay, well, we know it's important, but we also know it might not be the thing that moves the needle for a new parent. What we should actually do is maybe educate and inform the new parents about why these things are important and then use it to kind of help to, to show them what we're doing, but, you know, but it's providing that context of saying, you know what, we're doing a certain thing with our curriculum that, you know, most of, they just wouldn't know that much about it or understand it, say. So it just might be kind of something that, that goes over their heads, so to speak, compared to some other factors, if we just list it on the website versus saying, hey, here's what this actually means for our students, right? It's a right. it's a different way of teaching because we found that this thing, you know, kids were having these challenges. Have, have your children experienced that before? Um, when we tweaked it to this new way, we found that it helps in these ways. Is that something you'd like to see for your child? Well, if so, you might want to, you know, look a little closer at what we're doing here. Right, and saying exactly what you said, you know, we've listened and as a result of what you and your kids have told us, we've decided to change things or to implement this new plan or program or initiative. Here's what it's going to look like. Here's how it's going to help your child. Here's the feedback we want from you. Those right. types of things are effective ways of rolling out uh, new programs and policies as opposed to a top-down approach that basically tells parents you must comply. <laughs> right. Or, the, you know, or even the research shows, which totally, you know, valid to use research to inform decisions, but how does that help an individual person understand it as compared to just telling them what students experienced? And, you know, right. students and, you know, have, yeah. the research thing is just a simple tweak to explain it better, I think. You know, instead of saying research indicates that this program is more effective at driving higher, higher levels of student reading achievement, you could just say, with students in other schools that use this program, what happened with students in other schools that use this program is that they read more. More kids were reading at grade level and more kids were reading more books per year. Just a simpler and way of explaining things that parents can, that brings it to life for parents that they can apply to their own kids. Yeah, I'm also wondering, so some of the other things that you had listed in, in the the worksheet or the, you know, the, the evaluation form for parents were um, things like competency-based education, critical thinking, character development, technology, homework policies, things like that where, you know, it, it prompts parents to say, is this something that's really important to you, not so important, or something that you, you don't want? Um, are there certain of right. those elements that, uh, based on maybe surveys you've done, parents you talk to, that, um, you know, a lot of parents do seem to have strong opinions on are most of them just kind of, you know, uh, they could be, you know, they can see it either way, depending on what, what schools might be proposing. Cause I can see some of these things where, you know, parents may, may have one impression of it, maybe based on what their experience was in school, but they don't necessarily know what schools are doing today. Or some of them, they well, might, you know, feel sort of neutral, but, but it's up to the schools to kind of tell them what they're doing. I don't know. Yeah, so there's one in here that 
I laugh at thinking about now, although not really laughing, when I wrote the book, I almost cut it because I thought it was a ridiculous thing to include. And you know, when you're writing a book, you go through the phase at the beginning of saying, how am I ever going to write a whole book? And then at the end, you say, how am I ever going to pare this thing down to be a readable book? Mm-hmm. And so you cut a bunch of stuff. And one of the things I almost cut was the thing that I wrote about whether or not a school's air quality and ventilation mattered. Well, right. This got released a few weeks before COVID, and that certainly ended up mattering a lot to families, uh, whether or not a school had adequate ventilation. When I was writing this, I thought, gosh, what parent would decide, uh, you know, based on something like that? Well, things change. And so we need to update the book. It's in here, but we need to update it and add more things that have come up as a result of the pandemic. And the reason I bring this up is you cannot predict what the next big thing is going to be. You cannot predict what the next trend will be because parents talk to each other and then the media picks it up and then they amplify and then other families say, hey, why didn't I think of that? And that's what the next concern is. So today's trends are not necessarily predictive of what uh, tomorrow's discussions will be. Yeah, I think that's absolutely true. Um, and, and then so as you, and when you close the book, you you know you write about some of the some of the folks who were at, at the forefront of creating educational opportunities, and then some of the work they did to pay it forward. And I, you know that relates to well, part of it relates to word of mouth. Right? I think we certainly yeah. know that when it comes to any of these types of decisions, that's one of the most powerful factors that you can have out there is the word of mouth. What are people saying about you? Which, you know, to me, when I'm thinking about it from school's perspective is one, again, that reinforces the importance of having this continuous engagement, because ultimately your, what your, what your values are as a school is what other people say they are. So if you don't, continue to engage them in dialogue and make sure that they know what they stand for and that they believe it, um, then they will say whatever they say. And it doesn't mean that it's necessarily negative, but people might just not get much of a coherent picture of what you're doing. Um, and and I think it's a you know opportunity for schools to think about how are we creating word of mouth? If, if we believe we're doing great, you know, doing really well by our students and we are getting our families engaged in that process, do we see that as an opportunity that they will then go out and talk to their friends and, and, you know, neighbors, et cetera, and help to, you know, help us tell, tell the story of what we're doing here. Absolutely. And, you know, word of mouth cannot be uh, overstated. It is essential. You know, you, you need to think about the way you communicate with parents and also with students through the lens of, what are you doing for kids and how are you making kids and parents feel about their experience with your school? Because how somebody feels about their experience with your school is going to be what they lead with when they talk with another parent. And that can make or break you. And so you want parents to be able to say that teachers and administrators are responsive, that they listen to the concerns of families that they take feedback seriously, that they engage parents in the process of making decisions on things other than just fundraising, that they are responsive and helpful to challenges that individual kids face. And you want parents to be able to tell stories of how their child succeeded or was inspired to learn. Because a parent, again, is not going to go to another parent and say, in most cases, not going to say, this school ranked number 12 in the state on fourth grade science scores. Right. And then the parent would say to the other parent, well, how'd your kid do? You know, it's all about how did your kid do? So that's what you want families to be able to share their own experiences in a positive way. So don't forget the human component. I know that we talk so much about data and so much about rankings and ratings and scores, and they can play an important role. But when it comes to word of mouth, what you do for kids and how you make kids and parents feel is where it's at. Yeah, no, well said. Um, and so there was one other thing I want to touch on that you touched on the book and I felt like, you know, was a, a little bit new to me and, and some schools may be very much aware of parent navigator organizations and some might not know that much oh, about yeah. them. But I was sort of, you know, wondering, 
are you know do you see opportunities there for schools to develop relationships there just to make their jobs easier right of course these organizations yeah. exist to be you know in, impartial you know in helping parents navigate what's out there but you know they can only be as effective as the information they have available um which certainly is something schools can help by developing a relationship kind of help you know helping them get access to that info and uh and you know so is the, what do you think about that well i think that parent navigator organizations are incredibly awesome <laughs> and i can <laughs> tell you about a few of them uh what these organizations do is they help on the ground individual parents connect with schools and help them navigate through the walk through the school search process so that they can find schools that best meet their kids' needs. And a perfect example is an organization called Families Empowered, which operates in Texas and Arizona. They've served hundreds of thousands of families over the last decade. They do incredible work in English and in Spanish. There's a new organization now in West Virginia called West Virginia Families United for Education. They are doing great work. These two organizations work to raise awareness of all the options out there. They are neutral when it comes right. to types of schools. So they're not going to tell a parent, hey, you don't want a public school, you want a charter school, or you don't want a private school, you want a magnet school. They just say, here are the options, here's how we can help. We can arrange school tours and things like that. I would encourage schools, if you live in one of the places with these organizations, and there are not that many of them out there, to connect with them, provide them with information and respond to their requests. For example, if a navigator organization asks you when you're having an open house and you know when you're having an open house, answer the question. The better relationships you can have with groups like these, the more students will come through your door, the more parents will come through your door for open houses and school tours and things like that. Yeah, absolutely. And, and since, I mean, we know that the, you know, I, I think that the main kind of, takeaway for schools, you know, regarding this entire ecosystem of, of school choice is that each school should be the best that it can be, right? <laughs> Based right. on what its strengths are, what it does, whether you're a brick and mortar traditional public school, whether you're an online magnet school, whether you're a pri private school, et cetera. Um, you know, within that, I mean, are there any particular things that all schools you know that every parent wants every student wants and that every school should try to do or yeah should... high quality education safety mutual respect there's a list of these things in the book that i think are those uh things that every school really needs to do and that every parent wants in a school you obviously want your kid to be in a safe environment you obviously want your child to be educated right. uh you know and if you know, you obviously want to be treated with respect by the people working at the school and you want your child to be uh, treated with respect. Those are pretty essential must-haves that, that, I, that I can that I could say pretty much those cut across every, uh, every unique variation of a decision that a parent makes. They want those things. Right. Yeah, absolutely. So um, as we close here, to try to find it in the book, here, but <laughs> it's been two years. <laughs> we can uh, we can find some of those things, too, and um, and share them in the notes to the show. And and I know we'll also um, see if there's any links to some of these surveys and studies that educators would be interested in. And um, and as, as we close, one of the questions that we often ask our guests is if there's only one part of the book that people can read what should they read i think a better way to ask that in this you know in this particular case is um even though you know the book is written for parents what what's the the top case for educators to really read this book and read this book as educators right they can also read it as parents um but to read it as educators to really understand where this is all coming from and how it influences what they need to do I would tell educators to read chapter one, which is talking about how parents can harness the power of their own intuition and find schools and learning environments that best meet their kids' needs so that an educator who is approaching this topic of school choice realizes that there are folks who come at this topic with an open mind and wants all schools to be successful in serving students and families who have actively chosen to be there. 
and also hopefully read that chapter because you will see uh, the types of things that I recommend parents focus on as they look for schools. And hopefully that would help school leaders or folks who work at schools better tailor their messages to meet parents where they are. Perfect. Yes. Awesome. That's a great place to start. Um, so Andrew, are there, you know, where else can uh, our listeners learn more about your work? Is there a website they should go to to find some of these resources that you've mentioned? Absolutely. So if you are an educator and you want some free resources to help promote your school, we plan a series of events every year called National School Choice Week every January. You can get a free box of supplies uh, for coming up with your own event or activity to promote your school, any type of school during School Choice Week. And you can go to schoolchoiceweek.com. And you can also find, if you're a parent, tips and resources on how to find a school for your child, as well as a full guide, jargon-free, to school choice in your state at that website, schoolchoiceweek.com. And if you speak Spanish, you can go to opcionesescolares.com. Excellent. We will put the links to those sites in the show notes. We'll also put a link to where you can get the School Choice Roadmap and where to find that. Um, please do subscribe, listeners, to the Authority Podcast for more of these in-depth author interviews and visit thepodcast.network to learn about all of our shows. Andrew, thanks again for being here. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. <laughs>